Eye on 2020, episode 322. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. The authority is total. The authority is total. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. In, in an empire lies, the truth is treason. The truth is treason. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. By the military-industrial complex. I don't know about you, but I am always dealing with these clueless people on the internet and in my daily life, and I was looking to learn how to defend libertarianism, and if you're in that same position, you want to learn how to defend libertarianism, advocate for a free market, and win any political or economic debate, then you need to join Liberty Classroom. That's Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom, and you could do that by going to iontheempire.com slash liberty. If you do that, you'll be able to earn the equivalent of a PhD in libertarian thought and free market economics online for just 24 cents a day. That's amazing. Once again, go to iontheempire.com slash liberty. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of IN2020. I appreciate you joining me again for another week looking at the 2020 election cycle. I hope you like the new intro. I added a little bit more to it over the weekend, just trying to messing around, trying to make it sound a little bit better and everything. I hope you like it. But anyway, uh, this is ION 2020. This is a libertarian look at the 2020 election. If you've never listened before, I appreciate you joining me. And if you have been a long-time listener, I appreciate that as well. And I appreciate all those that have shared the show with your friends as well. I don't know if you guys know this, but the numbers of listeners continue to go up. I guess it might be because we're getting closer to the election. I'm not sure. But it also could be that you guys are out sharing that show, with this show with your friends and stuff. And uh, giving those five-star ratings and reviews that you've been leaving as well. I haven't done a show recently talking about poll numbers and stuff, so I kind of wanted to get into that, because we're about two months from the election, a little little closer than two months actually now, uh, we're about, what would that be, uh, six weeks, yeah, six weeks or so from the election, maybe seven weeks, and everything's starting to tighten up a little bit, and the thing that's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks as well, towards the end of the month, is you're going to have Joe Biden and Donald Trump hopping up on stage to debate each other, and then the following week you'll have a Democratic, or not, excuse me, not a Democratic, the um, vice presidential debate that's going to happen just after that, a week after the presidential debate. And then you'll have another presidential debate, I believe, a week after that. So within a three week period, you're going to see three debates back to back. And that's going to be interesting to see as well, especially since, you know, people are not having very high expectations for Joe Biden. And there has been rumors, and I don't know if it's true, but I've been trying to find it and just to see if it is true. Uh, but, I mean, they would never really admit that he's doing it. But supposedly Joe Biden is actually doing interviews with a teleprompter. And when I was listening to one of the interviews that I saw recently, it did appear to me. And I was just thinking, like, I think this guy might be reading off a teleprompter. Prompter, but it was in the back of my mind 
and I didn't, I wasn't sure about it, but it just, it's just something that struck me. And then you start hearing rumors that Joe Biden is using a teleprompter while he is doing these interviews. But you know what? That could just be some fluff coming from the Trump campaign too. I don't know. Because you hear things about Trump from the Biden campaign. You hear things about Biden from the Trump campaign. Everyone's beating up on Trump, you know, and uh, Trump's people are really trying to beat up on Joe Biden as well. So you're not really sure what their real news is. But when you really listen to those interviews, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd put it past them to do that, especially if he is having a hard time really putting together coherent sentences like they say. Now, is he having a hard time putting together together coherent sentences? Not recently, but I think they've gotten maybe ahead of this and started maybe putting him on to these teleprompters and have him just read the teleprompter. Because I did talk about this the other day when he made that appearance on like a Monday or Tuesday in Pennsylvania and he did that. He did a campaign stop where he talked to the cameras and there was like six people in the room. I don't know if you remember when I talked about that, but I did think it was odd that he basically just stepped off of stage and walked off, you know, cue left and just got off the stage and didn't answer any questions or anything like that. He just kind of like walked off as the reporters were trying to get him to answer some questions. So they are tailoring the message that he's giving. They are very carefully making sure that he doesn't go off script. So maybe they are putting him onto a teleprompter when he's doing these interviews. That's very possible. It's very possible because um, they would not want to let a weakness out like that. But there will be no stopping it when they're on the debate stage. Like It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, do they end up doing a debate where Joe Biden and Donald Trump don't actually go to the same room? Like, that would be the negotiation, but they all, they both have, you know, maybe it's something that's something like a Zoom meeting of some sort, so then Joe Biden could use a teleprompter during the debate. That could be interesting to see as well, because they are not going to allow that weakness to get out there, if that is, a, if that is in fact a weakness. Now, you guys know this too, Joe Biden normally, off script, even 10, 12, 15 years ago, this guy being off script, he's going to say some wacky stuff and he's going to do some interesting things and he's going to kind of, you know, have those gaffes, the Joe Biden gaffes. He's known for it. So if he's not having gaffes, then I do suspect that he probably is having, you know, teleprompters in front of him when he's answering questions because he's known for his gaffes. That's what he's known for. So it is very possible. But anyway, today I did want to talk a little bit about not just Joe Biden. I want to talk about Trump and Joe Biden and what some of the numbers are looking like. Because you can go to real clear politics on a daily basis and see what their daily tracking polls are. But you could also look at the latest polls. And they do a real clear politics average as well. And that's, a, that's an average of all of the polls that are taken. Not just Fox News, not just ABC, not just, you know, the different polling agencies that are out there individually, but you'll get an average of all those polls. So let's get into that. What is the um, general election, Trump versus Biden? What's the average that you have? That's the real click, real clear politics average. And it's going to be Joe Biden's at 50.5%. And Donald Trump is at 43%. So Biden is up by 7.5%. And I was talking about this a couple weeks ago that they did do a poll and it was showing that there's only about 6 or 7% of people that are undecided 
right now. Whereas this time, four years ago, there was about 16% of people that were undecided about whether they're going to vote for Hillary or Donald Trump. And it's way closer now. People are really entrenched on their sides. And I was telling that to a friend of mine, and I said, you know, based upon that, you know, this is really going to come down to who is, I don't know. I, I, was, I sold him, I said, I just think that it's really going to come down to the very final stretch where Joe Biden is probably going to win, I said. And, they, I, and I said, the reason why is because there's not a lot of undecided. There's people that are going to vote for Donald Trump. There's people that are going to vote for Joe Biden. And there's not a lot of people in the middle. And if Donald Trump is already down in the real clear politics average by seven and a half points, and there's only 6% of people that are undecided, you're going to have to get them all. Donald Trump is going to have to get every single one of those six or 7% of people. And that's kind of unlikely. It really is. But then somebody that was near me when we were talking, he kind of spoke to me and said, listen, there are a lot of people that are Donald Trump supporters, but they would never answer those questions. Like if some pollster called them, they're not going to answer those questions. They're not going to answer them honestly. They're just not going to, they're just going to hang up on it. That's the Donald Trump people because they don't trust polls as it is and they can't stand that stuff. And he said, whereas Biden supporters, Democrats are more likely to answer a poll, take their time that, you know, 15, 20 minutes that it takes to answer a poll. And I've done one of those polls before, probably six, seven, eight years ago. I I can't remember. No, it was before I lived in South Carolina. So it was when I was in Florida. So that was probably 2012, the 2012 elections. That'll be eight years ago. I ended up doing one of those polls on the phone and it really does take a while because they ask you a lot of questions. Now I didn't even get to the next point where, like, I think I went through a series of questions and so forth that were, you know, five minutes in, and then I was disqualified from that um, poll in the first place. But they were going to keep on going on and on and on asking more and more questions because they want to get into not only just the presidency, but the local races. They want to get into the national races. They want to get into different Senate races and so forth during those polls. And I don't, and it's not just they call you and they say, hey, who are you voting for, Trump or Biden? You know, that's not how it really is. So you have a lot of people that are undecided. You also have some people that are going to vote third party. But the guy that we were talking to, he just said, there are a lot of people that are not going to do those polls. And he said, and I mean, it's, it sounds reasonable. It sounds reasonable that it is possible that those people are still going to go vote for Donald Trump. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but Biden is definitely winning all these polls right now. Hillary Clinton was winning all these polls back then as well. But, you know, we have the debates coming up, like I said, and it is going to be interesting to see what happens. The expectations are very low for Joe Biden right now for a lot of people. And I was actually talking to another buddy of mine the other day, and he was saying that when he watched the Joe Biden um, acceptance speech at the Democratic National Convention, he had very low expectations and that Joe Biden, it sounded like a pretty good speech, he said. And he's, this guy's a Trump supporter. And uh, he said, yeah, it was a good speech overall. And I said that during the show as well on the show. I said, man, it was a really good speech. He did not get into policy topics because he's not running on policy right now. He's running as 
not being Donald Trump. So Joe Biden doesn't need to run on policy. Everything that he talked about during his acceptance speech was how I'm not Donald Trump and how I'm going to bring America together and how we're going to unify the nation, how we're going to help other people so that they can heal and heal the divides that are in the nation. Like That is the conversation that Joe Biden was having with the public during his acceptance speech. That's all you got out of him. He did not get into health care. He did not get into social security. He did not get into spending policy. He did not get into tax, like tax policies and stuff like that. Because he doesn't feel like he needs to. He really does not. Now, there is another thing that I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Donald Trump cannot get out of his own way, right? The guy loves the limelight. He loves to speak. He loves to talk. He loves to say things. He loves to piss off the public. He loves that stuff, right? And uh, it's interesting that he just does not kind of shut his mouth and be quiet for the next six six, six to seven weeks. Because Joe Biden is not doing anything. He, Joe Biden is not out there doing campaign stops. Joe Biden is rarely doing an interview. And when he does do an interview, he gets off topic. I'm almost convinced that in some of these things, or that Joe Biden has this little, you know, those little things that you have in your ear that someone can talk to you and kind of lead you down the road of what you're supposed to say. I have a feeling that he might even have one of those in his ear when he's doing those interviews because he kind of starts talking and then he goes into a subject, but then he backs out of that subject and then goes back into that subject and backs out of it. And he's kind of all over the board when you listen to him talk. So I'm not sure why Joe or Donald Trump doesn't just kind of sit back and watch Joe Biden destroy himself rather than getting into the fray and into the mix and into all the controversies and stuff like that. Like Donald Trump doesn't need to talk about NFL football. Donald Trump doesn't need to talk about a lot of this stuff, so it's um, it's interesting. It's uh, it's not as exciting as it was four years ago with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump just beating the pants off of each other constantly, you know, bombarding each other and stuff. I mean, slow Joe doesn't sound as cool as cro- crooked Hillary. Plus, we're in the COVID-19 era, so you're not going to have, like, the big, huge rallies that Trump was having and all that stuff, and Joe Biden's clearly not having any rallies whatsoever when he gives speeches he's giving it to you know six or seven reporters around tables they're spaced 12 feet apart and they're in the back of the room so definitely not as quite as interesting but it is interesting to see the way that they're going about it and stuff but yeah so that's the real clear politics um poll of averages as well joe biden is up by seven and a half percent uh donald trump was actually uh, losing by a, a more of a margin, you know, about a month or so ago. So we'll see how that ends up going. Let's grab a couple of polls as well, just see where they're at. Because what it really comes down to, honestly, is the the states, right? The states are going to go and vote, and then the, the Electoral College is going to decide. So it doesn't matter if the entire nation, you know, 51% goes for Biden and 49% goes for Donald Trump. That doesn't matter whatsoever. What matters is the states. So you have to kind of look at the polls and look at the states 
in like Wisconsin, I'm seeing Trump versus Biden. Biden's up by five points, and Trump did win Wisconsin. So that that's an interesting one, right? Uh, Trump is up in a Rasmussen poll uh, by two points in North Carolina. I see an Emerson poll for Wisconsin where Biden's winning by seven points. Indiana versus Trump. In Indiana, wow, Trump is up by 14 points in an Indy politics poll 53 to 30 53% for Trump 39% for Biden. I guess Indiana's always been a pretty much a red state, but if you look at these polls, most of them done are showing Trump losing and Biden winning. Wisconsin again, a Marquette poll, Trump's losing by 4. Biden's winning by 3 in Florida. And a couple of these polls that I'm looking at, North Carolina, another one Biden's winning. Trump's up by 25 points in Oklahoma. Well, that's, I mean, that's pretty much a given, right? Um, Biden's winning in a general election. Biden's winning by 12 in a Reuters poll. Economist has them up by 9. The Hill has them up by 8. The Hill again, or excuse me, CNBC has Trump losing by 6. Again, Biden's losing, or Biden's winning by 6, sorry, and Biden's winning by 2 in a Rasmussen poll. So it's interesting to see. Where they're at, Biden's winning in Minnesota over Trump by nine points in another poll. So if the polls are accurate, which I'm not convinced that they are at all, then some of these key battleground states like Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, and so forth, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. But it comes down to, I think, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida are the states that Donald Trump pretty much has to win in order to get to the number of electoral votes that he's going to need. So uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, like I said, we're still six, seven weeks away from the from the um, election, but you are going to have the debates coming up soon. But there was something I saw in North Carolina, like 10,000 people voted on the first day of uh, mail in ballot voting. 10,000 ballots are received. So a lot of people are already voting for their guy. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with that as well. Uh, But anyway, moving on. So if you have not heard the controversy yet, you're going to hear it here. And that is that Donald Trump in May, or excuse me, in March, February and March, was trying to downplay the coronavirus. And... I don't know that it's such a big controversy. Like, they're making a huge deal out of it. The ent- All of the Sunday shows yesterday were about this big controversy that Woodward, who writes books, like, he's written books about every single president. He's the one that wrote the book, or that released the, um, the, um, what was it, uh, Watergate against Nixon, like, this is the guy that gets in with presidents and talks to him and then writes a book about it. And it's like always able to um, release some crazy information about that president. Usually there's one or two good nuggets in his book. I remember I actually read one of his books that he wrote it about Barack Obama and the wars. I think it was called Obama's Wars or something like that. And it was about some of the mismanagement of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars that were going on and how he was, you know, not able to end those, but kind of made some mistakes when he was trying to 
draw down the or uh, not draw them down, but yeah, I think it was about the drawdown. I can't remember exactly what it's about, but he wrote that there was like two or three things in there that were kind of incriminating. And in this book, apparently, the biggest incriminating thing against Donald Trump is not that he was working with Russia, not that he was working with Ukraine, not that he was a foreign asset, not that nothing like that. It was that he was downplaying the coronavirus back in February and March. And I know that we're all in America. We don't have a memory that lasts past yesterday, let alone last week, let alone six months ago. Like, we have no memory whatsoever as a general public. So, And what memory we have is basically what the press told us that we should be believing. I've talked about that in the past. If you can control the history today like if you control the present then you can control the perception that people have of the past and six months ago february i mean i remember in february i went to snowshoe west virginia to take a snowboarding trip and i was keeping an eye for about a week or so on the number of deaths that were happening in china and there was no deaths in america yet there was no cases even in america yet but I was keeping an eye because this is probably the end of January or so. That's when you start really hearing about it in the news that there was a new possible pandemic playing out in China. And that they had locked down the Wuhan province and all that. And then it was President's Day weekend. So I think it was the 18th or so of February that I remember specifically during that time. I would still, for about a week or two beforehand that, or maybe even three weeks before that, I was basically taking a running total on how many deaths there were in China versus how many cases there were, because they were doing the case count, the death count. And I remember freaking out about it. You can go back to my March episode, the first one I did about the coronavirus, and I was freaking out about it when I took my, when I did that first show. Like, I was thinking to myself, there is, you know, there was like 25,000 cases or 10,000 cases and like, you know, I think there was 1,200 deaths or something like that in China. And I was like, wow, this is really crazy. There's like a 1 in 10 chance that you die, a 10% chance that you die from this thing if you get it. And I was like, that's crazy. You start extrapolating that out, and you're like, wow, in like six months there's going to be, you know, 2, two billion people that are going to have it, and you're going to have, of that 10% die, so you're going to have, you know, 200 million people dead across the world from this thing. And I didn't understand all this back then. But this is late February, going into March. And I remember I was starting to freak out about it. And I think that week, what ends up happening, the next weekend, I think is when it ended up happening, where they did the lockdown in San Francisco. They did a lockdown in Seattle. And then over that week and a half to two weeks or so afterwards, pretty much every, this is mid-March now, every state pretty much locked down at that point. Every state. Because New York was getting hit hard by the end of, like, middle to end of March. And you start seeing deaths in America at that point. Lots and lots of deaths, you know, every single day. But the beginning of March, mid-March, was way different than the end of March. Like, the tide turned in America during that time. I think at the end of February, you had five or ten cases in America, and they knew, obviously, what was going on. I don't think it's that big, like, that far to, 
that big of a statement to say that Donald Trump would have been downplaying it because you don't want to freak people out. I was freaked out. So not to defend the guy, I just don't think this is that big of a bombshell. I really don't. This whole Woodward thing, Bob Woodward, in his little book that he wrote, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, Because as leaders, as people that are in Washington, you're probably going to want to not seem like you're freaked out about it, not come off as, oh crap, you know, people are going to die, we're going to see lots of deaths, this thing is spreading out of control, like, you're not going to want to say that, you're going to want to, I don't know about downplay it, because maybe he was downplaying it, but that could be a word that that guy would use versus, you know, just not trying to seem like they're, like you're going to freak out the entire public of America, so, um, I just don't think it's that big of a deal, to be honest with you, and you guys know that I'm willing to criticize Donald Trump just like I'm willing to criticize any politician. I can't stand politicians. You guys know that. So I'm not going to sit there to defend the guy, but I'm just going to say I just get the feeling that um, any politician would have done the same thing. Like they criticized Donald Trump because he was doing too much. He closed the borders to China. He told Chinese people they can't come to America. He told people from Europe they can't travel to America. And they criticized him for that at that time. So are they wanting him to... They criticize him for doing too little, and now they criticize him for doing too much. You know? Like, it's, there's no winning in that situation because it's a, it's a, it's a political year. It's a campaign year. It's a year that you're going to have an election in November. They're going to look for division and look for ways to criticize no matter what. If they told him to wear black shoes that day and he wore black shoes, they'd say, oh, look, he should have wore white shoes. You know, it's just, that's the way it is, so... I'm not going to take that. I'm going to take that with a huge grain of salt, actually. I'm not going to take that too seriously. I don't think that that's so so incriminating. It just sounds stupid to me, to be honest with you. But um, in the 190,000 people, almost 200,000 people that have died from this coronavirus since then, like, I don't know. The, the, the numbers to me seem like like we like for example in America right now we have like a 2.97% uh confirmed fatality rate so and we've had 190,000 or almost 200,000 deaths right so and we've had about 20 million people that have uh been confirmed to have it I think is the number so or maybe 10 million I'm not sure I'd have to look it up I haven't actually looked it up in quite a while to see exactly what those numbers are. Um, but based upon those numbers, if you actually you can look at it on real, real clear politics on their webpage, you can scroll down on their front page and you could see from, see it by the United States. We've had 198,399 deaths and we've had 92 million tests them and done and six point seven million confirmed cases with a 2.96 percent confirmed fatality rate from the deaths per million we've had six point or 606 deaths per million whereas like india 627 deaths per million uh no assuming that was brazil mexico 559 deaths per million united kingdom 626 deaths per million italy 589 deaths per million so there's been that that's the true number to see how many people die per million 
Uh, that's to me the most accurate number because you could look at case fatality rates and that are confirmed case fatality rates. And I think that's based upon the fact that America's doing has done 92 million tests versus India's done 56 million tests. United Kingdom's done 19 million tests. So, um, if you really look at the confirmed case fatality rate, the actual fatality rate is probably more like, you know, 0.2 or 0.3%, maybe 0.6% or something like that at its highest. So, uh, but America has not done terrible on the coronavirus in that sense. We've had almost 200,000 deaths though, but I've always been skeptical of those numbers. You guys know that. I think that if you have a heart attack and you die and you happen to have coronavirus, um, I'm not sure that that would be coronavirus that killed you. And I think that if you look at those numbers, you do have a lot of those. Now, maybe it was a contributing factor, but a suicide, and you had coronavirus, that is not a coronavirus death, in my opinion. Someone that gets into a car accident and they had coronavirus, that's not a coronavirus death. A lot of this stuff, if you uh, had... um, If you were in hospice, most likely you were going to die anyway because people go to hospice because they're going to die and then they get coronavirus and die. I would almost say that's probably not coronavirus death either in that sense. And then you do have uh, most of the people that are dying are 85 and older. So I'm a little bit skeptical of that as well when those people die from corona. Not all of them, obviously. There's probably a you know, 98% of those people that die that are 85 or or older wouldn't have died if they had not contracted coronavirus, but maybe two or 3%, you know, would have died anyway. I mean, that, but I'm no scientist. I can't tell you for sure. I'm just, I'm skeptical of that number of almost 200,000, uh, because we are incentivizing hospitals by giving them money. If people turn up there and they go on a ventilator, if they turn up there and they have COVID, and if they die, there's like the incentives for them to say, oh yeah, that was a COVID death. And if you look at the CDC, when they said how the report, they said, if they had COVID, then it is a COVID death, no matter what happens. So I, like I said, I've been skeptical of that number as well. Um, but would it have been better under President Hillary Clinton? I just don't think so. I mean, I'm very skeptical because we're not through this yet. You look at Sweden, they didn't lock down. They're doing fine. They're actually at a point where you can almost say they have herd immunity. They didn't lock down. They're right about where we're at. And we locked down our entire economy. So what does that tell you? But look at Norway. They did, they did this huge lockdown. And they have way less deaths and way less cases and all that stuff. But when they release people, is it going to happen where they're going to have a spike again? And Sweden won't. I mean, that, that's been the going thing when they, obviously, if you lock everybody down and tell them they can't do anything and they can't go out of their house, then you're going to get people that, like, let's say America decided, you know what, we're going to lock down everybody. You can't leave your house for three weeks. You can't leave. They have police patrol on the streets and they shoot you to, and they kill you if you leave your house. So everyone's terrified to leave their house. Then you're going to get rid of coronavirus, but are we willing to sacrifice that? Are we willing to sacrifice our freedoms? There's a, there's a, there's somewhere in the middle. You can have extreme lockdown, throw everyone in cages that are six feet apart, and don't let them out for three weeks, and then coronavirus goes away. You can have that, and that can work. Or you can have complete and utter freedom. And I think 
that people left to their own devices are going to wear masks. They're going to not go into groups and gatherings. They are going to take care of themselves to try to stay away from other people. They're going to take personal responsibility. So complete freedom does not mean everything goes, goes on as normal. People are still going to make personal decisions. They're still going to make decisions based upon their best interests. And their best interest is not to get coronavirus, especially if they're 85 or older. So they're going to take personal responsibility. So we have somewhere between lock everyone in cages and, and complete freedom. And in America, different states have done different things. But on the majority, we have had mask mandates, lockdowns. Restaurants not allowed to be open. You can't go get a haircut. You can't go to sporting events. You can't go to concerts. You can't go to group gatherings. You can't go to a funeral. You can't go to church. So all that stuff's been done in America. All that stuff's been done in America. And we're no better than Sweden was, if you look at the numbers. We're actually worse off than freedom or than, than Sweden was um, at this point when it comes to the deaths per million. So, were the lockdowns necessary? You know what? Would a President Hillary Clinton have made it better? I doubt that. You know, would a President Donald Trump, could he have done more? Probably. Lock everyone down, throw them in cages. He could have done more. You know? But at least there was some slight respect for freedom in his mind and in some of the state states uh, the state governor's minds as well like at least there was some slight respect for freedom in that way i i get i could at least give them that you know i think the governor of south dakota has been pretty much the best on it where she did not do any lockdowns she encouraged like obviously they encouraged people to socially distance and wear masks in public but they didn't make any mandates and didn't do anything and they seem like they're doing pretty fine you know but obviously people are spread out there would that work in new york who knows? Obviously, people in New York didn't know that they had it, and it was going around for probably three, four weeks, or even six weeks before they started realizing, holy crap, this thing's out of control. So they didn't even have time to let the people make their own decisions because it already had spread through there. Now that people are making their own decisions and taking personal responsibility, you could probably let up a lot of this stuff and people will do it. But then you you look at these Facebook ads, not ads, but like I follow the local news channel and if they post anything about coronavirus, you still have those people that are freaked out and terrified and saying how it's, you know, look at people that are not wearing masks and they're so bad and all these people that are, what do they call them, Karens, you know? So anyway, guys, I appreciate you listening to me today. Uh, Hopefully that you guys are uh, really enjoying the show. Uh, If you do, you can go give me a five-star rating in review on Facebook, okay? Not on Facebook, sorry, on Apple uh, Podcasts. You could also give the Facebook page a review, actually, if you wanted to. I think you could give me a five-star there if you wanted to as well. So do that. That'll help the Facebook page to get out there as well. But five-star ratings on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts would be great. Reviews are always great as well. Uh, if you want to, you can go to Facebook or on Twitter and follow Eye on the Empire there. And then... Uh, Every Monday and Thursday, I will be producing a show until the election. So I hope you guys uh, continue to join me and continue to come out and listen. Give me, uh, you know, your your um, earbuds for half hour or so every single Monday and Thursday. But I appreciate that. Uh, come on back on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.